Present to you, Pastor Jackson. That's quite a welcome, isn't it? <laughs> this thing's still ringing up here. There we go. Pastor Nice. I'm excited. Pastor Jamie said, Pastor Jack is a stage publisher, pastor for the weekly for the last nine years. And he's the pastor of Elephant City Church in Tucson, Arizona. Of course, it's Arizona. Anyways, let's give it up. Warm milk. Okay, sweet welcome to Pastor Jackson. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Well, it is a delight to be here with you, and uh, welcome to those of you watching on the online campus as well. And um, in fact, as we get started, I don't know if you can bring the house lights up just a touch. Uh, I would love just to do a selfie, which I know is weird, but I love James so much. I just wanted to tell him that uh, you are just an amazing church family. And for nine years, I've gotten to hear the stories of what God's done in you and through you. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you um, for just living out the kingdom and the love of Christ and uh, having a massive impact for the kingdom. So are you all ready if we do this? Now, if you're online, you're going to have to lean in real close. I know your parents told you never get too close to the TV, but uh, get real close to the screen and everybody kind of wave. Does that sound okay? All right. So here we are. And you're not waving. I can see. Okay, there you are. All right, we're waving and okay, perfect. One more. Okay, and perfect. Okay, so I'll just send that to, to him and Shauna. Uh, but we so appreciate uh, so appreciate your heart, uh, your heart for the kingdom. And today we're looking uh, into Matthew chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter five. We'll get there in a second. We're looking at the Beatitudes. We just saw the video about that. It just this is one of the beginning. Uh, portions and kind of depictions of the most famous sermon Jesus ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. He would have given it many, many, many times. But to kind of set the stage for the verse we're going to look at today, I want you to think back to a time. Have you ever been hungry before? 
Now, some of you, if you're saying right now, listen, you got a few more minutes uh, to hang in there. So just hang in there. Uh, maybe the cafe is open for you. But like, have you ever been like super hungry? I'm not talking like peckish, like in between snacks. Listen, that's America. We're always looking for a snack, right? So, but like the idea of like really, really hungry, maybe you had surgery and you couldn't eat for a couple days and you're on fluids and then finally you started getting hungry, right? Maybe you had done a, a bunch of work and, and it just, you'd worked up an appetite, right? How many of you have ever been really, really thirsty before? We live in the desert, right? So we, we kind of understand that 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 craving for thirst. Maybe it was a, coming off the field of competition and you're just depleted. Maybe it's doing yard work and you realize you didn't drink a whole lot during the whole experience. And you can, that first sip of water hits your lips and it's, it's just so refreshing in that. I remember the thirstiest I'd ever been. I was about 17 years old. And it was about 6.30 in the morning when we started. My friend Tim, his dad owned a warehouse, and he said, hey, I need some help, and so would you hire one of your friends, and, and I'll pay you, and, and I need you to unload something. So that's what I knew going into the scenario. So I show up at the warehouse down in the middle of Tucson at 6.30 in the morning, and I realize what we're unloading is a semi-truck full of 40-pound charcoal bags, and it's Tim and me, and that's it. Um, and so the semi-truck kind of backs in, and they throw open the tire, and you're like, okay, from floor to ceiling, front to back, this semi-truck needs to be unloaded on pallets, and, and Tim's dad's got the cool job. He's driving the forklift, moving the pallets. Tim and I, well, we're just slugging 40-pound charcoal bags off the truck onto pallets, and I remember about halfway through that experience, I realized I need to go to college um, because this is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And so there was a great motivator uh, in that moment as I finished up high school. But also, about halfway through, Tim and I were just realizing this is taking a really long time. So we looked each other in the eye, and we, we made the dumbest decision, or one of the dumbest decisions I've ever, I've made a, a, several of them. But one of the dumbest decisions we ever said is, listen, we're halfway through, right? No more water until we finish this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll totally do that. So we shake hands on it, um, and... That was really dumb. Um, and so like for the next three hours or so, we're slugging 40 pound charcoal bags and putting them over our shoulder, bringing them down, putting them on pallets. And, and I don't know if you've ever been that thirsty, like the thirsty that like your back of your throat is like sandpaper and, and you can't even get any saliva in your mouth anymore. And, and you realize that your lips are like, they're permanently stuck to your teeth. And that's weird. And that shouldn't be, right? And like, you're just, your whole body is like craving some kind, some kind of thirst. And I remember when we finally finished, uh, I realized I shouldn't do that again. Uh, and then the second thing is I remember grabbing the water and the water hitting my mouth. And that was the most refreshing feeling and sensation that I think I've ever experienced. I was so thirsty. I bet you've been thirsty before too. And I want you to keep that in mind as we look at what Jesus is teaching here. This teaching of this moment in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, like I said, is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, right? The, the most famous sermon Jesus gives about, here's what the reign and the rule of God has come to do. Now, in his life and through his life and his death and his resurrection, the, the, the kingdom of God, the ways of God have now arrived forever. 
And Jesus is teaching right out of the gate in the Beatitudes of saying, listen, this is, this is to describe who the followers of Jesus are to be. Now, you may be here, you may be tuning in online, and you're kind of spiritually searching. And I got to tell you, if you're here and you're spiritually searching, I'm so stinking proud of you for owning your spiritual journey. And maybe you're not part of the convinced group yet of this guy, Jesus, but you're curious about it. And I just want to tell you, we're proud of you for being curious. In fact, stay curious because there's something about Jesus. There's something about who he is and how he says to live life. In fact, you're going to actually see part of it today that so many in our culture crave and they're hungry and they're thirsty for something that brings satisfaction or something that brings fulfillment. And so much like Mick Jagger, we can't get no. Come on, I know your fans. We can't get no. There you go. So like the culture around us is kind of this idea of craving something. And yet Jesus is going to speak to something here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 as he's going through the Beatitudes, and he's saying it's important for us to understand these are to be the attitudes of those who are believers, those who are following after Jesus. We would do well to note that these are the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes. In fact, Dallas Willard said this, the Beatitudes simply cannot be good news if they are understood as a set of how-tos for achieving the blessed life. They would only amount to a new set of legalism. So it's not the idea that we go about trying to do these things in order to get the approval and the acceptance of God. No, no. You already have that in and through Christ and through faith in him. When you realize and your heart is open to the fact that Jesus came for you, he loves you, he's for you, he's not against you. And as you come into that relationship with him, now these are to be markers. These are to be attitudes of how you live life. In fact, one of the, the, so much of the world kind of says, listen, pursue the good life, right? And we see depictions of it in commercials all the time. Here's what the good life really is. But what you begin to understand and kind of the, the takeaway for today is that the pursuit of the good life, that the world says, seek after these things, will ultimately always let you down. But the pursuit of the God life will actually lead to real joy and true blessing. And that's what Jesus is getting at as he begins to teach his early disciples. Here's, here's the Beatitudes. Here's the beginning of it all. Here's the attitudes that are to mark your life. In fact, he begins and says, blessed are those who understand uh, that they are poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are those who understand that they're spiritually bankrupt, uh, that they, they have nothing outside of what God has provided. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble. God will meet them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's easy to read that phrase, and it's easy to skip past it. But what Jesus is saying here is hunger and thirst. They're a picture of intense longings that we all have. We've all known times when we're hungry. We've all known times when we're thirsty. And so much of our world says, hey, the good life is you pursue after these things. And there's hunger and thirst and there's appetites behind that. But the reality is what Jesus is saying is, listen, the, the good life that the world will tell you to pursue after will actually end with you not being satisfied. But if you pursue the God life, if you pursue the life that I'm trying to teach you about, then you will be filled. Jesus takes a common human feeling 
and connects it to the kingdom of God. In the ancient Jewish world, people knew true hunger and true thirst. Uh, We in our culture, if we're honest, really don't. Uh, We understand it in glimpses here and there, but we are in the land of plenty. And so we don't understand hunger and thirst like some. Maybe you've traveled the world. Maybe you've been in places. Maybe if you're watching online, you remember a trip that you've taken, that you've seen hunger and you've seen thirst up close. And from a spiritual understanding in the first century, thirst and hunger was kind of craving and pointing us to this thirst and hunger of righteousness, to love God with all of your being, to love your neighbor as yourself. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for love, to embody that love in everyday life, everywhere we go. And just as a person cannot live without food or water, we've been created with a deep longing to not live our best life outside of finding that with God. It's like the author of the scriptures, Jesus, has in mind maybe the the call of Isaiah 55. Here's what Isaiah 55 says. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good, and you will enjoy the finest of food. Jesus, throughout Scripture, over and over, is declaring, come to me. Come and see. Jesus declaring, I'm the one who will actually bring fulfillment into your life. All other pathways, all other pursuits of trying to to get after your appetites and your thirst, they will lead you to emptiness. But I'm the one who will bring you to fulfillment and satisfaction, and you will find it. You will taste and see that the Lord is good. If you remember back to Jesus' public ministry, it really didn't begin until he was about 30, right? We know a little bit about his childhood. And we know a tiny bit about an adventure he had at the temple when he was 12, right? We, we don't know a whole lot from the childhood through adolescence. What we do know is Jesus burst on the scene at 30 into public ministry. And, and so what we kind of have to understand from the backdrop is that Jesus transitioned from infancy to childhood through adolescence into adulthood, all in a small rural town outside the bustling city life. Jesus worked his family's trade of carpentry, studied Torah, just like the other Jewish boys in the village did. And then finally he steps onto the scene and his public ministry begins at the baptism, right? His baptism. And John the Baptist, because he's the one that's baptizing, right? He's the one that baptizes Jesus. And we hear God's voice declare, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And his ministry is about ready to begin. It's the unveiling of the Messiah moment, right? And what does he do his first day in the job? Does he heal anybody? Nope. Does he preach a sermon? Nope. What does he do his first day on the job? The Spirit leads him into the desert. And for 40 days, he understands what hunger and thirst really is as he fasts. 40 days, Jesus emptied himself and made himself hungry and thirsty. Have you ever wondered why he chose that as the first day on the job? Uh, Among all the other things, 
that he could have done all the things we see in Scripture. Why that? Why is that the beginning? Perhaps Jesus is trying to make clear and understand the definitive statement about one of the central questions of humanity. What is it that will fill my hungry heart? Because you have one. I have one. Humanity is born with appetites and thirst, and it's way more than just your stomach's cravings. In fact, one of the greatest quests in life is the quest for satisfaction. We live our whole lives pursuing hard after it. We search for things that will satisfy the pangs of our human appetites, something to quench the dull ache of our unfulfilled cravings. Human beings are hungry creatures, and we look for fulfillment in all kinds of places, in money, possessions, in strings of relationships or nonstop activity, in sex or in having power or fame or approval, and the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? You know what Jesus is doing in the wilderness? He's checking all of those appetites. Jesus is living out what he preached later on. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God, for the ways of God, for you will be filled. All other appetites, all other thirst will leave you wanting more. He's making sure that the human appetites don't gain control over him. See, unchecked and unrestrained appetites only get bigger and bigger while leaving us less and less satisfied. How do we know that? McDonald's. Go with me, okay? The reason we can know that is because of McDonald's. Now, you may forget that McDonald's is one of the early industries of the fast food industry, right? One of the early leaders in that. Do you know in 1955, the largest soda McDonald's offered was seven ounces. Within 50 years, it swelled six times that to the 42-ounce drink that they have to name. They gave it a nickname. Do you remember the nickname? Hugo. That was the nickname. They are the inventors of Supersize. Forget the show Supersized, although that's fascinating, but the idea of Supersize. They're the ones who went from seven ounces to 42 ounces, over 400 calories in one drink. And then they finally let that go. And the reason I know that is I called them this week. And I said, hey, do you guys still sell the Hugo? And the manager's like, no, we don't. But I remember that. We just have the extra large now. Okay. So this idea that it's called the craving for more is the craving of the human heart. It's not a bad craving to want more. It's just off when it's anything other than God himself. Jesus is saying the appetites of the world will point you to something that will never truly fill you. You're, you're search, if you're searching for meaning outside of God, you're going to be searching, and you're never going to find it. You will never find true satisfaction if you're searching to feast most on anything outside of God. You'll crave more and more, and you'll be satisfied less and less. But like Isaiah, Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, those of you who are hungering, hunger and thirst after me, and you'll find satisfaction. Blessed are the people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God, for the ways of God, for they will be filled. It's like Jesus is echoing the psalmist. In Psalm 63, it says this, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. 
My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. I see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because of your faithful love. It's better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I'm going to lift up my hands. You satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Jesus says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God, for the ways of God, they will be the ones who actually get filled. The word filled in, in Greek is this, this idea of uh, to be filled up, to be bloated, to be gorged. Come on now. How many of you have ever been that filled up before, right? We have a holiday for it every year. It's called what? How many of you got special Thanksgiving pants? Yeah, you know the stretchy ones, Nacho Libre. Sometimes it's fun to wear stretchy pants, right? You know, the idea that we, we wear that, we kind of center around that in Thanksgiving. We understand what it means to be gorged in a way, to be overflowing. Jesus is saying, listen, gorge yourself on me. Let the love of God overflow for you and overflow for others. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, but no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. He's where the satisfaction comes. Happy are those who partner with God to meet the deep hurts of the world around them. Why? Because they've found satisfaction, and now they want to pass that on and disperse that to others so that they can experience true fulfillment. The psalmist writes, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Here's the question. Is God and his ways the deepest cravings of your heart? That's a fair question to begin to wrestle with. See, our world tries to tell us there's so many other appetites and so many other thirst, and there's so many other distractions, isn't there? And it's very easy. If we're not hungering and thirsting after God to begin to let those appetites and those thirsts take us in a different direction, and we think they'll bring us satisfaction, but we've all been down that road enough to know that it doesn't end ultimately with being filled. We live in a land that promotes and pushes us to pursue and chase down other cravings. This intense longing for the righteousness of God, that's what Jesus said. You'll be blessed if you let that be. What is that? What is that kind of righteousness? Well, a lot of ways, it's, it's kind of a personal sense of righteousness. It's being filled with God that the person is completely, that we completely align ourselves to do the will of God without tripping up very often or getting detoured or distracted away from God in his best Righteousness ultimately refers to discipleship, to obedience and following after God in his ways. It refers to righteousness for the entire world, an end to the sin and the impact of how sin begins to affect the world. It's God's promise to say, let God fill you. He will completely satisfy your spiritual hunger and thirst. What Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes is the first three are all about emptying yourself. And now Jesus is saying, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for me because you're going to get filled now. I'm going to fill your life in a way. And so the desire to be righteous, to do what's right by God, that's what Jesus is talking about here. 
to live as one who is forgiven and accepted by God and has a desire to do what God commands, that's set their heart trajectory on, on trying to imitate and reflect God's righteousness in and through their life. Jesus is trying to convey the thought that the quest for righteousness is not some idle task that we do when we have nothing better to do. What he's saying is, listen, let this be your top priority. Let this be your top focus. This longing for righteousness to, to like a starving person or a thirsty person, that they are in desperation. Let your heart be that desperate for God and for his ways. To give yourself to that, his righteousness, to give yourself in pursuit of him and his ways and what he says is best for life because then you'll be the blessed. You'll be the one who gets filled. In the simplest sense, righteousness is obedience. We are to hunger and thirst for our lives to be in line with God's design. That's what it means to be hungry and thirsty for God. James chapter four says this. Uh, it tells us that to, to know the right thing to do and not do it is just as bad as doing the incorrect thing. That it's this idea of your whole life is centered around knowing God, being made right with him and recognizing that he did that. And in the same way, I want to live in line with his design of what he says for me. Righteousness means to live rightly with God, to do right, to reflect his righteousness to others. The Greek word for righteousness that Jesus uses here also has to do with this idea of being in a right relationship with him, which isn't something you create or I create. It's a gift from God, Paul says in Ephesians. It's the declaration that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection provides the way for you and I to be made right and to have a right relationship with God. And that I would long to grow in that relationship, to, to understand that I'm now justified, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus did and the way that he provided it. It's recognizing that God is the one who justifies us. It's a gift of faith in Christ Jesus alone, period. It's not about my actions, but it's about understanding. And he gives us that craving. Another aspect of craving and hungering and thirsting after righteousness is seeing God's righteousness, his ways on display in the brokenness of the world around us. It's the desire to see right done to help bring about God's will and God's righteousness and his righteous ways in this world. It's the Lord's prayer, what Jesus prayed, right? May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And see, we get to participate in that. We get to be part of the answer to Jesus's prayer there. And the good life is not this idea of, uh, that God does all the things without us. He is very active but he longs to work with us. God's call is to make godly, positive difference in the world for you and I to be a giver, not just a taker. Here's a question to wrestle with. How different will the world be because you existed? How different will the world around you be because you existed and because you are partnered with Jesus? See, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done is not a language of passivity or resignation. God, you got to fix things. They're a mess. It's a language of participation with God. God, use me. Use me. Here I am. Use me. You don't have to be famous 
to make a difference. You just need to be faithful. You don't have to have perfect ability. God's just looking for your availability. Will you be available to me? Jesus is saying, and I'll go to work in you and through you. See, God cares for all of humanity right here, right now, and he longs for us as his church to step up and to step forward and to share his truth with folks that he loves them and that he's for them, that he's not against them, and that he actually wants to use them to help bring more of his kingdom, more of his way, more of his righteousness into this world, into the broken uh, nooks and crannies of the world around us to bring healing and to bring hope. See, it's hard for hungry people to hear the gospel over the sound of a grumbling stomach. It's hard for people to hear Jesus loves you when they see Jesus' people being unloving. The early church embodied Jesus' practice of love in caring for the whole person in social ways and in spiritual ways. It's what they became known for. Author Rodney Stark, The Rise of Christianity, in that book, he he writes, Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships, able to cope with many of the urgent urban problems. The cities were filled with homelessness and were impoverished, but Christianity offered charity as well as hope. The cities became filled with newcomers and strangers and the lonely, and Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. The city was filled with orphans and widows, and Christianity provided a new expanded family. The cities were torn by violent strife, and yet Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity and for justice for all. We are to care about our communities, just like the early Christians did. You all do that, and you do that well. May you never lose that flavor. May you never lose that pursuit. Tertullian, second century North African church leader, wrote this. It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. They say how they love one another. And they gasp at how the church loved. Friends, may even those who disagree with our beliefs see the desire and the display of love of Christ through the healing of hurts, the feeding of the hungry, clothing the naked, sacrificing other, ourselves for the cause of justice. And may they say, look at how those people love. Look at it. it, it it's startling because that's what a people look like when they hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God himself and for God's ways. And they will be filled. And the Apostle Paul reminds us. Remember Galatians 6, 9 through 10? Let us not grow tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good for everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Here's what I challenge uh, our church folks with, our family. Uh, There are so many needs in the world, right? It's so easy to be overwhelmed by it. Andy Stanley said this, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Uh, What if the church, what if the people of God just said, listen, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. I can't fix every problem, but I can fix this one. 
I can speak into this issue. I can help meet a need here. It's the old adage of see a need, meet a need, right? That as you are an active agent for God and for his good in the world, what if you just said, I'm going to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone? That as God puts that one across your path and he says, listen, we're going to respond here. You respond there. You help bring some of his righteousness, especially in a culture that's so divisive in our age right now. So many hunger and thirst to be right. I'm right. What did Jesus say? Don't hunger and thirst to be right. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's when you'll be filled. In a culture that just hungers and thirsts to be right, you just create more division. You just create more disunity. Don't hunger and thirst to be right. Hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's the truth. So here's the final challenge. As the worship team begins to come back up, we'll close in a worship song here. I'd encourage you to maybe take out your phone. Uh, if you have a, a, usually there's a note app on your phone. You can open it up to a blank page, a blank note, right? And I want to just take 60 seconds and invite you to have a little prayer moment between you and God. Uh, what do you sense God's saying to you? Uh, what do you sense he's asking you to reflect on? So many of the adage in adults is we take in information and then we don't really process it. We don't reflect on it. And how we learn as adults, whether you're online or whether you're here in the house, is to actually take a moment to reflect. What do you sense God nudging your heart to take hold of today? Why is he bringing that up and putting that in your mind? How might that help you love him better or to love others better? Is he asking you to do something? with what he stirred in your heart. Maybe it was a verse, maybe it was a simple statement, maybe it was something that he whispered to your heart. Take a moment, reflect on what you heard, what Jesus is teaching, what he's calling you to do. Write that note out. Think about it this week. Pray into it. Father, we... We want to be a people who are not just hearers of your word, but who are doers. We know, Holy Spirit, that you are always active in our lives. And so we open ourselves this morning to say, what do you have for us? What's the nudge you want to put in our heart before our mind? So we jot it down. We jot it down as a prayer. God, this is what I, I sense you kind of nudging my heart. This is what I, I sense that you're kind of putting in front of me to, to focus on, to maybe wrap my mind and my heart around a little bit more this week. Spirit, we invite you to be active in this room and active in every living room tuned in. What do you have for us? Father, as we worship you, 
We ask that you would stir our hearts afresh and anew. We want to be a people who don't just crave and search after and hunger and thirst to be right. We want to be righteous. We want to align with your design. We want to live our lives that we put your righteousness, your ways, your heart on display to the people around us. Maybe to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. To respond to the nudge of the Spirit in the moments of our everyday life. That we are your church, not here on Sunday. We are your church from Sunday afternoon through Saturday night, everywhere we go. We are your active agents for you and your good in the world. And that starts with us having a hunger and a thirst for you. So would you use this song to stir our hearts to hunger and thirst after you, we pray.
It's great to see everyone this week. God bless you. Have an awesome week. Thank you.